Hi, everybody. Welcome to School Psych Podcast. We're really excited tonight um, to be talking with somebody who has um, that parent perspective and is also a school psychologist. So that's kind of our topic. And um, we're just going to get right to it. But my name is Rachel. I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Maryland. Rebecca? Hi, I'm Rebecca. I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Connecticut. Um, I want to share with you ways to participate tonight because we're really looking forward to hearing from you. Please comment anywhere. Marilyn, Rebecca. Hi, I'm Rebecca. Comment anywhere on either one of our Facebook pages, School Psyched, Your School Psychologist, or the School Psyched Podcast page. Comment anywhere in messages or on the top post or on Twitter using the hashtag PsychedPodcast. Or, very conveniently, right next to the YouTube Live video, you should see a place for comment. I'll be looking for notifications from all of those sites. We can't wait to hear from you. And here's Anna. Hi, I'm Anna, a school psychologist um, working and living in New York State. I'm so pleased to welcome our guest, Kellen Roberts. Um, Kellen is a permanently certified school psych and also has a provisional certification in school building leadership. He served as a school psychologist in an urban school district for five years. He's now a stay-at-home parent of two children, number three on the way, um, one of whom is a child with special needs. Helen's also a member of the board of directors for a preschool that serves both typical and special needs children. Kellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So tell us about yourself. Tell us your, your spiel. Um, uh, so... Uh, I, can I say, can I kind of start my slides and kind of get into it a little bit? Absolutely. All right. Um, so as they said, uh, uh, my, my objectives tonight are, uh, I really want you to develop long-term relationships for your parents for both you and your school district. Um, I worked at a high school and there would be times that I can think of where a parent would say, you know, in third grade, the school district really messed this up for me and I'm not happy about it. Um, and so I think it really, it's really beneficial, especially in the early years to develop a good relationship. So it carries over into the later years and also understanding how to, uh, how parents feel when they interact with the system, because it seems very obvious to us in a lot of ways, but, um, it, it is not being a parent, even though I know the system, it's still very difficult, uh, to navigate. Um, and I'm doing this because I'm both a school psychologist uh, and a child with uh, a child with a disability. I'm a parent of one, and uh, I think I offer a pretty unique view on this because I can see it from both sides. It's to be more middle ground between research-based and parent-based perspectives, uh, blogs kind of fill this void. Um, but I, I, I think there needs to be a little more talk in it because you know there's a lot of disconnect sometimes uh, about it. So, um, I'll get into my journey, and um, sorry. Uh, can you guys hear me still? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, this when I when I say the story, this isn't about how tough it is for my family or to say like you know feel bad for me. It's really just to tell you we had to go through and how many professionals we interacted with before we even got to a diagnosis. Um, and it, it all started, my daughter, after her first birthday, she started waking up two to three nights a week, 
and would stay up for anywhere from two to four hours at a time. And this is in the middle of the night. Uh, both my wife and I are working, so it was not very good for us um, in terms of sleep. She had chronic sinus infections, but never ear infections. So she did a lot of antibiotics, but her ears were always clear. I mean, we were at the doctor's like months at a time. And then uh, we actually brought, when she turned two, we actually showed a video of her talking and, and it sounded like Chinese babble. And the pediatrician said, no, I think it's okay. It's okay for right now. Cause we were concerned. We heard kids her age talking. We're like, okay, well they must know. Um, and then when she turned two and a half, we're like, you know what? The language isn't improving. We need to do an eval. So we did an intervention and they qualified for a speech delay. Um, however, they never said any other concerns about anything else. They said everything else was good. Um, so then <clears throat> being a school psychologist, I said, you know, we need to do a hearing test because if there's a speech delay, we need to make sure the hearing's working correctly. And what happening was we went to the audiologist and you're supposed to have a pressure of zero in your ears. Hers was 176 in one ear and 156 in the other. So it was basically like she was underwater. Um, she couldn't hear us at all. And if she did, it was pretty jarble, uh, pretty garbled. So uh, the ENT said we can do surgery or Flonase, which is a nasal spray to kind of clear things up and shrink the adenoids. And we tried the Flonase, but it didn't work. So we did the surgery in May and uh, she got her adenoids out and her tubes put in. She used her first sentence when she woke up from the anesthesia, uh, which was, get me out of here. It, it was great. And then she ripped the IV out and was bleeding. It, it was a mess. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was quite the fun-filled day. And then I had also said, you know, because of the speech delay, we need to go to the developmental pediatrician to rule anything else out because they're going to give a different um, perspective on how to look at your child. So I remember on May 23rd, right before uh, labor, right before uh, the, uh, the long weekend, we're going in to rule out anything else and we're going to enjoy our weekend because she started talking better. We saw instant improvement since the surgery. And I remember my wife's like, is it? and the, the nurse practitioner said, yes, it just nodded her head. And it, it was really devastating to hear. Um, just like every every appointment we went to, we found something new out that was really difficult, and we knew we were going to have to deal with it. And it was it was just every time we went to rule it out, something worse came along. So it was really tough, and like four or five different professionals at that point, and no one had said anything. Yeah. And so that was in May, the very end of May. In June, we had to figure out a preschool program, but first we had to. We had to do an evaluation at the school, which went terrible as well. Um, she did not have a good time, neither did we. Um, and then, so then we had to figure out the preschool. And then in that time frame, I also resigned from my job because we, we just didn't know how we were going to do it all. And also within all that, um, I was finishing my school building leadership certification. And we had a base frame. Sorry. So that's kind of that's kind of my story, and and it's really just to to show that um, you know it, it was a long road to get to a diagnosis. And if I wasn't a school psychologist, I don't know if we would have found it out. Yeah. 
I want to ask you, Kellen, if I could jump in right here. I've um, spoken to so many parents that started on that journey um, and it went to all the different professionals. And, and something that I get the sense of often is that, I, and I don't know if it's the messaging or the delivery of the message, but parents always seem to feel like these professionals in one way or the other are blaming the parents. It's, it's your parenting or just do this and this will help. And, and I have such empathy for that because, you know, we know as school psychologists, there's no room for blame, first of all. And, um, and you know, there's not one factor that we can say, this is why this is happening and certainly not parenting. Did you ever feel that you were getting that, messaging from any of the professionals in terms of I'm wondering especially in terms of the sleep because that's a common one where where people will say well just you know fervorize her or do this or do that and it seems like um, the blame is, is likely to be on the parenting in that area I agree I think part of it is a parent will internalize something's wrong with my child it's my fault um, like I blame myself going through my program saying I wasn't there to, I'm a school psychologist and I didn't pick this up. Like I am not present in my family right now. Like I, I felt like I didn't catch it early enough or how did I miss it? And then part of it is how the message is delivered. Um, we actually wouldn't tell the pediatrician how we slept because they would just say, well, you know, you get your canned response and, uh, which is fine. It works for some families, and research shows if you do consistent sleeping on their own, whatever, it works. But I also know when you have a child who's not typical, like who doesn't, you know, isn't developing typically for whatever reason, and it doesn't have to be a child with special needs. They just need something different. Um, you you really just need to go with what works, and that is often not said in a meeting with a professional. Like... Um, when we went to um, a parenting class and um, it, she said like, you know, research doesn't support your answer, but if it's working for you, do it. And that kind of stuck with me a lot about how to interact with, how I would interact with parents in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. That's helpful. Yeah, I think that it's so important for us as school psychologists to to remember that, you know, yes, we're, we're advocating for best practices in terms of interventions and treatment for the child, but parents' emotional reactions to what's going on and discovering new information and sharing, you know, their greatest vulnerability. This is what's happening at home. These are my observations. It's so important for us to support the parent with, you know, the, the truth that we are on your side. You know, we want to help this situation. We want to help your child. We want to help you. I think that's a really important thing that um, sometimes becomes secondary to the child's needs and um, should be, I think, sort of equal. Yeah, parents are very emotional creatures. Um, so we, we deal in emotion, not facts. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean... Uh, I totally agree with that. And especially now, now that I have two kids, I'm, you know, anything about my children, um, you know, it, it's hard to see things clearly because you are so surrounded by emotion. I mean, they're your kids. You're always, um, 
I don't know. I was kind of like, when I first had kids, I was like, it's the hormones. I've never, I'm not usually this weepy or this mopey or this, you know, but it's, it's just such, you know, it, it clouds everything. And I can't imagine going through that. I, uh, there's even been situations. Um, I'm sure we've all been in situations where in another field, like somebody, for example, um, there's something wrong with my car and I went to a mechanic and they're talking all this jargon and I'm kind of just nodding my head. Oh, okay. 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 Like, and he's asking me, do you understand? Does that make sense? I'm like, yeah, sure. And really in the back of my mind, I'm like, I totally have no clue what he's talking about. And I'm kind of glazed over. And I imagine that that's a little bit of how parents feel sometimes in these meetings when we go into sometimes our fifth meeting of the day and we're just like, this is how it is. And da, 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 and we can get kind of, um, caught up in, you know, the jargon and, and that and not realizing that this is, this is their child. And it's, 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 it's hard. <laughs> it's yeah, hard. yeah it, it's definitely, it's, it's different. I, I mean, I, I see, but I mean, I sat through like 15 straight days of meetings and it's just like, how much, how much more can I give to these families, you know? But at the same time, being a parent now, it's like meeting with a professional, like I'm going to hold it against them. And fair or not, and it's not fair because I know it's difficult and I know it's not easy. So I'm the best advocate for my child and I expect 100%. Even if I'm not giving 100%, I expect 100% from the professional, you know? And, and that's just how parents are, um, uh, you know? Right. Um, and and I'll t this is my first meeting as a parent. Um, I didn't speak at all. Actually, I just kind of sat there. I just was taking it in being like, how am I on the other side of the table right now? My wife was actually, they had offered a, a packages of services. My wife had actually said, I want to do this instead. And they're like, well, this seems more appropriate. And she goes, I know my child. This is what I need. And she kind of put her foot down and they were really good about it. Like we loved the school that she went to for preschool because they were such great professionals. And, uh, you know, she's the one that act she actually came up with the best model for it. Um, that I think actually made a huge difference for us. And um, I left that meeting wondering how I was a, a school psychologist. Um, because I'm like, I did nothing in that meeting. My wife did it all, and she had no idea what she was doing. I can only imagine what it's like for a parent who has no idea what they're doing to just be thrown into this. And, I mean, if you saw, I had four months of I resigned from my job. Uh, I finished a graduate program. I had a baby and we weren't sleeping and all this happened in a four months. Like, I just can't imagine for people who, who have to live like that in general. Um, so it, it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and so when my, when we got the diagnosis for my daughter, which was, uh, it was the, the actual specific one was high functioning autism. And, and it was interesting she, uh, my daughter went in and she went straight for the dinosaurs instead of a kitchenette set. And that was actually one of the key indicators for diagnosing her with autism. Uh, and I remember my wife was like, how did that, how did she know in two minutes? And, um, and, and it was just one of those things where it's like, you, you go into this meeting and within five minutes they know, cause you know, you know, certain things when you see them, you know what it is even though the parents like I expect like this full battery of assessments to really get to the, the bottom of it, but you know, right away, like what it is. Um, for me, I knew what this was going to entail. 
um, in terms of how much work we had to do. Um, for some, like they go in not thinking anything and they come out with something that they have no idea what it means. How hard is this going to be? This is my wife. Um, and some even deny it. Uh, I remember working with a, a parent and yeah, he's diagnosed with autism. But I don't really believe it. Um, and it was a parent I knew through a peer and it took like six months for her to really, um, and so my daughter was diagnosed, uh, birthday about two months before her third birthday. Um, so in my mind, we caught it pretty early, um, in terms of what, like with the speech delay and that kind of thing. Um, and in terms of the beginning of the journey, this is kind of what it's like for parents. Um, you, this is probably the biggest problem. You have to be the expert when you have no idea what you're doing. Luckily, I have a background in it, so it was fine. Um, but if you have no idea what you're doing, you're making a lot of decisions, and time is of the essence um, when this happens. Decision, it could be months before you do anything different. Um, you have to figure out who you're going to tell, how you're going to tell them. That was actually a really big deal for us. Just ready to be pretty open about it. Um, my wife was not right away, but we, you know, we come to a compromise, and I realize, you know, I can show some restraint. She can show a little more openness. Um, but you know, you you never think that's a discussion you're going to have with your, you know, significant other. Um, managing the services was really difficult in the beginning because these people are coming into your house. You have to schedule different times. They cancel or reschedule. You know, your life is completely at the will, the will of who's scheduling you. If you have a 3.30 appointment, a 10 o'clock appointment, like you're not doing anything that day, especially if you're getting a lot of services. And it's missed a lot. And how And some parents actually, because of that, they're like, I want to enjoy my summer. And, you know, I, I totally get it. Uh, I cringe when I hear it, and I try to, like, show a lot of restraint and not, like, jump down their throat about it. I'm like, well, you know, it's just a summer. You know, plenty of summers left. And, you know, it, it's it's tough on families. And, and then this leads into, do I fit this into my life or do I fit my life into this? And I think some people keep doing what they're doing and then say, all right, how are we going to add in all the services? How are we going to, you know, get our child to school? That kind of, and it's a second thought. And other people are like, this is my life now. This is how I'm going to handle it. Um, and then these are, you know, you can go in all, you can go down the rabbit hole pretty quickly. I read a lot. Um, cause autism is different in females. Um, and I never really knew that. Um, because you know, with girls, they're more socially adept, like kind of what the research, like what the books are saying was like, they can blend in more socially than boys can at a younger age. And um, so things that boys would display, a girl might not display at that age. And um, we're very lucky to have a practitioner that was really adept at understanding this because I don't know if everyone else would have diagnosed her right away, kind of like that. Yeah. And then other, you know, other people are like, stay out of my life or, you know, don't talk to me. They're wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. And then others are kind of like, this is not happening. It's no big deal. Whatever. It's just the thing. Like, they're just a kid. And, um, you know, it's, 
it's not necessarily they're reacting like out of spite for their child. It's really them kind of saying, my child's a good kid. I can't think negatively of them, you know? Sure. And I think we lose that as professionals sometimes that the parent reacts the way we don't expect them to, like they don't care, but it's really them saying, I'm going to be so emotionally hurt by that. Um, deal with it right now. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Um, you had talked about the service providers coming into your home and whatnot. As a school psychologist, was it hard at times to um, critique? not critique them sometimes because I, when I drop my kids off at daycare, sometimes I'll see the way maybe somebody interacts with them and I'll be like, mm, that's, that's not a good behavioral technique <laughs> or, you know, I, I find myself kind of critiquing them and I try and step back. So I can only imagine if there's somebody in your home, you know, and you're seeing the therapy going on. Do you, did you find yourself ever like jumping in? <laughs> you, you know, I, um, my wife was, I want to get in the middle of all this and see and learn. And I was, uh, I really wanted to be hands off um, because one, I didn't want to strain the relationship and have them thinking I was, you, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's tough. I didn't want them to think I was judging them because then they're going to make more mistakes. They're not going to try new things. Um, and I left the room, I left her in there and, my thought process was they may not do the right behavioral thing, but my child needs to start getting better at understanding different expectations, um, especially with autism. Uh, there is a lot of repetition and transitions can be difficult. And so you repeat a lot of similar things, but I was, I wanted it to be one of these things where if she's okay, I want her to experience transition and start to self-regulate it a little bit. Um, and luckily that strategy worked for me, mm-hmm. for every parent. Um, but I wanted to try it first before I, you know, kind of stepped in and said, this is how you're going to do it. And, and I also had professionals that knew more than me in terms of speech. So um, that, that really helped. I, I think that's such an important point that if you have a little bit of faith in the people that you're leaning on, it makes such a big, I mean, or maybe it's a lot of faith that you have to put into these professionals because I think that it, it kind of it, it does take different perspectives. And I know for me, I work with um, parents, uh, parents that are also other kinds of professionals like occupational therapists or clinical psychologists. Or and I do get a little bit, um, you know, nervous about what I'm going to say or how I'm going to support this child whose parent is sort of, you know, some uh, an expert in one field. Uh, and I have to remind myself that I have something valuable to add. It may not be, I'm never going to say to a parent, this is the way, the only way, and, and I'm an expert. But I'm going to say, here's here are my thoughts. This is why I'm thinking that this will help. And, you know, it's about collaboration. It's not about one person's expertise maybe over another. And I... I personally really respect the expertise of a parent on their own child. So um, I think there's, there's, you know, those both sides that we have to put faith into the people that work with our children and um, have faith in ourselves that we can work together with, with other professionals. You know, it's not just one person. Yeah. And, and sometimes parents struggle for the right words to use and, that can change the message that can change the dynamic and the relationship. And 
you know, if they question the professional a lot, it's kind of like if you have a contractor coming in and you're questioning them, like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And it's not necessarily because you don't agree with them. It's, I don't understand. Can you explain it to me? Service is like, well, I have 30 minutes and that's all I have. I can't spend time explaining. You know what I mean? Like in your head, you're having that battle. So um, it's just a lot of, it's just a, the nuances of it all is what changes everything, I think, and the time constraints. And it, it makes it difficult to have that. I respect you, but I need to question you so I know and make sure I understand. That's a good point. Yeah, there's not a lot of time for that for that relationship, the parent and professional, but, but there also needs to be some time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, when you're in the, we're still in the thick of things too, as well. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, we got this. And then there's a lot of, what are we doing wrong? Um, cause this is not going well. And, and sometimes you get lost in the details of it. Like you just, um, to see that your child is happy and excited and loving life. Cause all you see is how far, how far away their speech is from their peer. Or this peer can go on the slide by themselves. Your child, you need to be with your child because they're going to have a bad social interaction. Um, you know, that happens a lot. And, and you go into this bubble, especially in the first couple months, and, you know, you come out and it's kind of like you're in this time capsule and you don't realize life just passed you by while you were, you know, dealing with your stuff. And it can be very difficult to maintain relationships. Um, you know, sometimes other, your friends don't understand um, things that bother you that they don't understand bother you or why um, or you know they, they question your parenting um, and, and you feel like they're questioning your parenting it's hard to decipher if it's you questioning yourself or if it's actually happening um, and, and it's really you know especially like autism at a young age it's a lot of parent rating scales yeah. a parent who doesn't necessarily know what average is and they're answering these questions and they don't understand it. And so the professionals interpreting it like they have valid results. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of this perception thing that happens in the beginning, especially at a young age. And I think it muddies the whole thing and it makes it very difficult for everyone to kind of get a good, accurate picture of what's going on. If you don't go to a developmental pediatrician, which I don't think a lot of people know how to do. Uh, and like the pediatrician never recommended it, never recommended going to the ENT. It's kind of like, if I didn't know these things, I don't know if we'd be where we are right now. Yeah. To be honest, I, I was just going to type in our private chat that I've never even heard of a developmental pediatrician. I'm just going to say that out loud because uh, I haven't ever heard of that. Um, is that something you guys have heard of? Is that a common, uh, if you're suspecting uh um, a developmental difference or, or a delay is that something that people do i i've seen a lot of uh, i've seen reports written from developmental pediatricians that might um include a diagnosis and whatnot and so it's past my desk kind of but i've never um interacted with one yeah wow unless maybe our my local pediatricians they're all that and i just don't know i wonder about that but um that's interesting what about yeah. You? Um, sorry. Oh, I saw Anna's face pop up, so I just thought I'd ask. Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, we have a like a specific 
section in one of the hospitals around here that people go to to get like those developmental diagnoses. Uh-huh. So like you have to go to this this place where where they specialize in it. But I I hadn't heard the term developmental pediatrician either. So I'm sort of assuming that they're there, but is that what that was like for you, Kellen? It was like a specialist kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, I kind of knew. It's kind of like, um, kind of like a. The best way I could explain it is, we had a pipe backup, and you'd think you would call a plumber, and they would come and fix it. But you can actually call a um, a drain and pipe person who is actually better at unclogging pipes. So it's one of these things like you know that they're there, but like you don't know the specific specialty of that person. Like you know there's psychologists that do that, but you don't know there's like a developmental pediatrician who specializes in developmental disorders, you know, kind of thing. Like I think that's kind of the best way I could answer that. Um, Acceptance and understanding. Um, this This is an interesting one. Um, because we're into acceptance and denial. So we accept the diagnosis, but we deny that it dictate how things go. Um, and you know, it took a while for us to completely accept it. Uh, I, I I would probably say I accepted it quicker than my wife, just because I know what it is and I understand it. Um, and you know, one of the big things is like you remember it's still your child. They're still a happy kid. You love them. You know, if they're smiling, you should be smiling. Um, That's kind of where you get, you start to enjoy small things in life again. And um, you really just deny the fact that it's going to limit your life. It will change your life, but it it doesn't necessarily have to limit it. Um, And also, too, like, when you accept it, people start to kind of take your lead on on how how to handle it, how to talk about it. And it's not like you're ashamed of it, but you don't broadcast it either. And so I think if you have that healthy balance, um, you know, you kind of, people start to feel more comfortable around you talking about it and you feel more comfortable in turn. Yeah, I really like that. I think that's one of the things I always keep in mind when, when investigating, do we need to look for a diagnosis is that no matter what, your child is still your, the same child, whether we, you know, are able to, make a diagnosis and to inform what we do next or not you still it's still your child and i find that is really a comforting um thing to remember you know i like i like that oh yeah parents love that yeah parents love that and it's true it's true Um, so just to give you some perspective i have a typical child and then a child with special needs and um you know whatever it takes us to do with our younger child who's younger um, it will take us, you know, two to three times longer or 40 to 50 times more of repetition work. Um, so when teachers come to you, cause I always forget this when teachers come to you and say, I talk to this kid all the time and we're like, well, if you just do this, you know, they'll respond better to you. Remember that that kid did something then 40 or 50 times before they got to you. Um, that's just my plug. Cause I forget about that sometimes. Yeah. Um, You know, like social cues that my youngest daughter picks up, like we had to teach a lot um, for my older daughter. Um, Like I'll actually walk in and my daughter will be making this funny face. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm practicing my angry face. Um, So like she practices like 
her facial expressions or she, I can tell when she's starting to practice a phrase with us because she tries it and then sees how's we, how we react. And if we react favorably, then she'll use it. If we don't, she like kind of changes it. It's really, it's really interesting. Um, and preparing, um, we prepare a lot for most things. Um, we can't just wing it. We can't just kind of hop in the car and go. We really got to, you know, dot our I's and cross our T's. Um, and also, your day can turn at any point. That, that was really difficult, especially in the beginning. It's like we had a good morning, and then all of a sudden, things just went downhill fast. And uh, it was things we, we didn't know our cues yet. We didn't know them well enough. Like, now we can spot it and say, all right, we have about 10 minutes before we get to go. My younger daughter, it's like, all right, let's just go. She's having a tough time. My, my older daughter, we have to, like, prepare her. We have to set everything up and kind of say, this is how we're going to get out of here. Here's what we're going to go do. You know, it's just a lot more of a process, which is fine, which is fine. Public preparation is probably our biggest phobia or fear uh, of what happens. And um, it, it's really just because it can go so wrong prepared and so um, you know before event we really go over the expectations really explicitly um, with her and if she gets upset here's what we're gonna do we my wife and I prep ourselves like what's our safe word for if things aren't going well who's gonna do what how are we gonna handle it um, like we had a big family trip this weekend that we went on and you know we went we bought candy and some toys just in case we needed reinforcements and you know when things, when it looked like our daughter was ready to, you know, she she had enough. We were like, all right, we need to go. We'll have dinner by ourselves. And, you know, then we were like, all right, if we have this much time to do this, well, she'll need 20 minutes to calm down, reset herself. Then we can go back. Then we can go for about an hour. Then she's got to come back, calm down. And so, like, if you, it's exhausting sometimes to think about what you have to do um, just to make sure your daughter has a good time. And it's not like she's a bad kid or she really struggles a lot with a lot of different things. It's just that when she starts to struggle, it becomes a big thing for us. And when you're in front of people, then you get anxious about how are they going to react to you reacting? And are they going to judge you and how you're handling how tough it is? Um, so it, it's just a lot of, it's just a lot of preparation. And um, we did, we did get a lot of ideas too with parents uh, from other parents, we also took a parenting class. Uh, we have a center for related disabilities, um, for autism and related disabilities, who puts on a free parenting clinic. Uh, if you go to like six classes, then they give you like of money to buy resources and stuff. Yes, card. Um, they're based out of SUNY Albany. Uh, they were great. Um, one of the things that my wife and I took away from it, and we're, we're biased to it, uh, was the difference between um, and a bribe. So, mm -hmm. and, 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 and it's really funny because, you know, a bribe is you give them, like if a kid's screaming, you give them, like you just say, here, take this chocolate so you stop screaming. So it's kind of like you bribe that, you, they're screaming, you give them the candy, they stop. A reward is more, if we go past here and you don't scream, then I'll give you the candy. So they have to do something to get it. It's not just to keep them quiet. Uh, I know that's very nuanced, and I'm sure plenty of parents are laughing at me right now. 
Um, but like, that was a one thing we felt better about reinforcing. Um, cause we have no problem doing, we have a lot of different behavioral strategies we use. Reinforcements is one of them. Um, I mean, some people don't agree with it, which is fine. It works for us. Um, uh, but that's definitely one thing that I took from that, um, that really helped us. Um, and then finally, my wife and I give each other a high five. We call it the Robert's high five. And we usually reminisce about, we say, how did it go? Did it go good? We're like, it went really well. We're really happy. Can you believe what it was like last time we did this? Um, so we have our own little positive reinforcement with each other, Aww. which is my wife. My, it's definitely my wife. She's more, she's a better psychologist than I am in that sense. Um, so to, just to kind of wrap up like my journey of it, uh, we had a lot of family support. Um, you know, we have special education teachers in the family. Uh, we had parents, other family members who had uh, children with disabilities. So like we had a lot of support and understanding and that helped us because we didn't have to calling our mothers or our sisters or whatever, you know, oh, we have this going on and have them say, well, it's your parenting. It's not a disability. And, you know, they just accepted it, which is big. Um, we're both educated in the sense that we can both do research. And we did a lot of our own research that actually influenced how we re worked with the schools and, you know, what we suggested to them. And then me being the school psychologist, the reason I say it's the difference maker is I don't think we would have gotten to where we are as fast as we did. Um, you know, within a five-month span, we went across, you know, all the professionals got the diagnosis. I think you know what to do, it would have been maybe when she was four, if not going into kindergarten, that we probably would have gotten the diagnosis. Um, and that made a huge difference for us. Um, and we had money to do it. It was, it was really expensive to do what we did. Um, if we didn't have money, I... I don't know if we would have done it all if we had to decide between, um, you know, eating our meals this week or going to see an ENT specialist. I, I don't think we would have gone to the ENT specialist. Um, and I think a lot of, you know, in an urban school district, that happens frequently. Um, we question professionals and not like, you know, obnoxiously, but when they would give something, it would be kind of like my wife. What happened was, uh, we went to the first meeting with the preschool and they're ready to put her in the ASD room, which is like eight one-to-one. They're going to use the PECS. We were communicating with our daughter without a PECS system. Um, she wasn't using all the words, but we could use our words and she would understand. So we didn't always need pictures to explain everything. So my wife said, how about we do the other self-contained classroom, which is like a 12-1-2, and we'll see how that goes. The reason she told me that was because she goes, um, I want her integrated by January. And I'm like, look, it, it doesn't work like that. Like, you don't just pick and choose when you do things. Um, she's like, no, this is what's going to happen. And so every we would talk constantly with the teacher, and we'd really communicate with her. And she, you know, she really backed us up. She's actually become a good friend of ours. And, you know, in April, we were into the integrated classroom setting. Um, and it's because And it's because my wife said, you know, this is my child. I know my child. This is what we need to do. This is how she'll be successful. And and it's not the professional's fault from what they saw. And this is why I didn't talk at the meeting. I'm like, well, that's what they saw. And that's what I would say. 
And I got caught in that, well, I agree with you because I've been on that side of the table now. This is my child. I need to stick up for my child. Like, that's kind of why I didn't talk at that first meeting. And it was hard for me to kind of switch the hats. Um, I would be quiet more because I wanted to be that parent that was respectful of professionals, didn't get in their business. But at the same time, I wasn't advocating as well as I could have been. Um, and we're very lucky with our school. Our school system has been amazing. Um, we do not, we have not had to fight for services. When I say we had to, we fought for, a, um, you know, the different, we really just said, we want this classroom. And they said, okay. Mm -hmm. um, they said, well, we don't want to do that. And we said, well, we want to do it. And they said, okay, that was our fighting. Um, you know, and, and we got a program and we got a special, we had Sia, so a special education teacher come to the house five days a week for an hour after school to give services and, you know, and in other counties you're fighting who, are, who would have more might get, might get the program, but they won't get the SIA service. Very lucky in the school system where that they said, yeah, that makes sense. That will really help um, just to do it. And I think that your daughter would benefit from it. So in that sense, and we made this our life. I, I quit my job. Initially, it was going to be a leave, but I said, you know, things are going so well. Um, we, we really need to hone in on this. And so I worked my Jedi school psychology tricks with my daughter at home, and um, mm -hmm. it went well. I have a question. So yeah. um, you talked about you know, being an advocate for your child. And that's so important. And I feel like there's a lot of times where there's parents that it just sit at the table and are quiet, even though they might have questions because they don't feel comfortable or they don't feel like they should speak up. Um, and then at the same time, at the other end of things, we sometimes have these parents that are so intense and so, um, uh, controlling of every of the whole process that I'm, I'm sure we've all worked with parents that are just kind of in your face to the point where they're rude and they're very difficult to work with and they're so over the top and they want things that are just unrealistic and unnecessary um can you see like i've often tried to put myself in their perspective parents that sometimes i think cross over that line to to rudeness and bullying school staff um can you can you understand that a little bit better now being on that side of the table? Does that make more sense to you? Um, like, do you have just an opinion on, on a parent that maybe gets a little bit too extreme? Or yeah, I, I mean, I, I, there's two things that are happening. One, as a professional, and and I'm not judging anybody when I say this because I think it happens in every profession. You want people to interact with you a certain way, and. We want parents engaged and we get annoyed that parents aren't involved, but then we get annoyed when parents are too involved, you know, like we, we want it every way we want it. Um, so I, I, I understand that. And, and I do agree. Some parents are bullies and I've experienced a few parents that are bullies. Um, one that I really dislike a lot. Uh, I still like if I saw this parent in the street, I would ignore them even if they came up to me and said hi. I would just walk away. Um, I, I, it's the, what, what I think happens is sometimes when you feel inferior, 
to the professionals that you have six people telling you your kid is not good at something, you feel powerless sometimes. You might get a piece of knowledge or work for, you know, the State Department of Education in some random building and then go talk to some powerful people who say all the power in this because parents do. They, they really, they say yes or no. You can say, I'll give you all this and they can still say no to you um, and legally be okay with that. And so then they come back and say, well, I'm going to show you who's powerful. And it's not because they don't like you. You're just the face that they see of something they don't like or something they're upset about with their child. And, and I, with those parents, it's really about relationships. And so, I mean, I get to, into it a little bit later, but you know, with those parents, it's, you know, make sure you have a legally defensible report. Um, first and foremost, which is ridiculous that best practice doesn't come first legally defensible does. And then you really just kind of limit your communication with them or say, this is how I will communicate with you. If you don't like that, um, then you can do what you got to do. But I think it's kind of, if you pick that battle, you have to be ready for every battle that they're going to pick with you. And so you kind of just have to decide, how do I want to deal with this parent? Do I want to be like, okay, you can get whatever you want, whatever you want to do. And at times I've said that to parents, I'm like, I'll do whatever you want to do. That's fine. You know what? You want this, you want this, that's fine. I'm not, it's not what's best for your child, but I'll do whatever you want to do. Reels them back in. And, and then the other thing is like, look, I know you're advocating for your child, but right now what you're telling me is I'm not good at my job. You're angry at me. And these meetings are more about your dislike for me than your child. I think sometimes when you, when you just lay it out there like that, sometimes they're receptive. Sometimes they aren't. You say thing, we say things like your child has a delay, but not enough for special services. Like, if I didn't know what that meant, that would drive me nuts as a parent. Like, isn't on grade level, but you're not going to do anything for them? Like, you know what I mean? And we have to say that, and we understand why we have to say that, but it's really tough sometimes. And that's where some of the anger comes from as a parent. And so I, I just, I would you feel comfortable with and kind of talk about how you want to strict because you're, you're representing the district at that point, not yourself. And sometimes what you would say, the CSE chair wouldn't say. So I hope I answered your question in that. For sure. <laughs> yeah. um, these are the, so to me, these are the four places that you're going to meet school psychologist. Um, and, and I want to go through kind of each thing and tell you what I would view as a parent and how I would, you know, address it as a school psychologist. I mean, we use such technical language because we have to, um, most parents don't understand any of it. They get hung up on the scores. So they're not going to listen to anything you're saying other than that score that they see. And most of the time, you don't say anything good about the child because there's usually a deficit for doing an evaluation or the good things are kind of buried within the bad things. Um, uh, you don't even know kind of that they said good things. And then regression is probably the most difficult thing too. My wife still struggles with that. Like, look, they have to say it that way. So you get the services. Like it doesn't mean that's what our child is. They just have to say it that way. Um, 
And, and this happens an awful lot where, like, my child does not match her report ever. Um, like, it's so delayed. Um, it's like, holy cow. Um, you know, she's not she's not what this is. And, and so this can be difficult for parents to understand. It can be difficult to get across to them. And make handouts that are easily digestible for them. I know it's annoying. It's hard work. You only got to do it once, though. And um, always reiterate often that this is a snapshot of your child. It's not them as a person. Even if you feel like you're saying it all the time, say it all the time because the parents love it. This, this can be like kind of the last thing about meetings. You have a group of staff members that go around the table and tell you all the things your child struggles with. After the second person, you're like, what did the first person say? Is anyone going to say anything good? Um, and you're reminded of every single meeting, your child is not typical. Um, no matter how much success there is, it's always like, oh, another meeting where we hear about how my child isn't doing. And like we went through the progression, our child compared to other special needs child children. I don't know, then we started comparing her to typical kids. So like we, we moved up in, in some ways in our comparison pool, but it was still kind of like, we're still having a lot of difficulty with her. Um, it is the biggest thing. It's driving me nuts so much. Um, if you just come in with a parent and say, here's all the things we do for the kid. These are the things that we're struggling with as a whole. Here's what we want to do. You, you know, it, it's three minutes of the problem and then 27 minutes of solutions. And it's a problem, three minutes of solution. So I, I th that's my biggest kind of takeaway for all meetings is like, you need to meet with them prior. If Even if it's not you, it's a teacher. We love your child, say all the good things. Hey, this report's going to not be fun, but it's okay. Um, you know, the, the pre-meeting is the biggest thing. I agree. I'll just jump in while you're looking for your place. Um, the the things that are coming out in our little chat are um, that one parent especially appreciates the um, the time spent in sort of planning your strategies, the time it takes to plan a public. You talked about public outings and um, how much preparation you do for the what if scenarios and and um, how nice and important it is to get ideas and strategies from other parents and other people that have been through it besides just the professionals that uh, may or may not have children of their own um, so that they have that real full empathy. Um, I think those are important points from our, from our chat. Mm -hmm. For sure. All right, I know we're getting ready to wrap up. Um, so if anybody out there um, who's watching and has a question or a comment and you want to make that, um, start typing that in now and we'll uh, get to that soon. But um, is is there anything else? I mean, I think that a lot of what you had to say was, was so important and so necessary for us to hear so we don't get just bogged down with our kind of day-to-day -day and we we have to take a step back back sometimes and be like, you know, these these are parents and they're, you know, 
it's it's difficult for them and just because this is the fifth meeting of the day and i'm tired doesn't mean that i should be treating this um any differently than if it you know if it was me and it was my kid and um i just i think that's it's a hard way to it's hard to put yourself in their shoes and i don't think it can really truly be done until you go through it yourself but it's mm -hmm. it's really important to hear that perspective so that we can at least try to do that definitely i mean i think just just be visible and be a part of your culture in your school because that will just make it very easy for you to kind of talk with all parents because they feel like you're this private special person in a small cubicle which you are because that's where they put you in some janitor's closet um it's one of those things where if the kids know you and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I, I see Mr. Roberts all the time. He's like a cool dude. And if they're saying that about you, then the parent feels more um, and, and they're willing to open up and be on your side. And, you know, it, parent, if I my one recommendation is if you know this parents like coming to your building, they're going to be really difficult. You know, in the first one to two days, meet their child, have a positive interaction Call them, say, hey, I met your child. We had this funny joke. We talked about it. It was great. Oh, by the way, I read in the IEP. You had these two things. Can you just clear those up for me? Even if you know what they mean. You've now had a positive relationship. Um, you know, you've now started the relationship positive. They you, they know you know your, their child. You've said something good about them, and they called you about it. So now when they come in angry, they're going to remember, hey, that person said something positive, so I'll take, give them the benefit of the doubt this first time. It's, it's kind of like the tough kids. You always have a positive interaction because you don't want your first interaction to be when they're screaming at you. Um, so do that with parents, and I think that will be very beneficial to you. I like that. Yes, thanks, Callan. This has been extremely helpful, and um, it's a hard experience for a parent to go through, and we appreciate your disclosure and, and sharing this with us because as a school psych, it's hard, and as a non-school psych, without all that background knowledge, it's harder. Um, so that was just really, really awesome. So thank you again. Um, we're gonna wrap up, we're out of time. Um, we'll be back in two weeks on October 23rd with GoZen um, to talk about some strategies for dealing with children who have anxiety. So um, tune in again, and thank you again, Helen. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Night. All right. Night, everybody. Night.